Welcome to Freed Up. This is the podcast space where life feels lighter. You know, sometimes life can have us feeling worn out and weighed down, locked up and left out, or just simply looking for more. And if that sounds like you, then you are in the right place because you can live freed up and not fed up. I'm your host, Tina Robertson. In today's episode, we're hosting educator and author Brennan Steele, who wrote the book, Breathe, a guided healing journal for Black men. Brennan and I are going to talk today about the importance of emoting and processing emotions. He's going to share a little bit about his own personal journey in this space. So definitely get an ear on this one. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, Freed Up family, I'm super glad to be back in this series that we're doing on men's mental health. You guys have already had a chance to hear from some other guests before um, our episode today. And I've been telling you about this guest that's coming on and he's actually here and his name is Brennan Steele. And I'm super pumped. Every time I say his name, it makes me think of Superman. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Do people say that to you, Brennan? So they don't say it to me, but they definitely say that to my dad. So my dad at work is known as the man of steel. So I okay. definitely I have heard that before. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, you definitely have to have some steel to work in the area that you work in, which you're actually an educator. Um, and you are a writer as well, clearly, because we're going to talk about your book today, which is Breathe, a Guided Healing Journal. For black men. And I'm super excited to get into that, but we got some things to do before we get there. So can you just tell the listeners what they should know about Brennan Steele, besides the fact that you had the Superman thing happening? <laughs> yeah. So I think the main things that you should know about me are, I am originally from Nashville, Tennessee. I was born and raised there. I went to college at Duke University. Um, and then while at Duke developed a passion for education and a passion for youth um, and moved to Memphis to teach. Um, I've been teaching for three years. I teach math specifically uh, to middle schoolers and middle schoolers. Wow. Like, oh, uh, Superman beat it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've taught like almost every grade in middle school. So I definitely have seen the different stages of child development. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think Outside of that, um, I'm passionate about the uh, mental and emotional health of, of Black boys and Black men. I started my career at an all-boys school, and 95% of the students were Black boys. And so that's mm-hmm. where my passion initially developed. And then just personally, um, I am engaged, getting married in about 40 days. Oh, congratulations. I'm excited for that. Kind of get everything together in a COVID situation. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I really like bread. <laughs> I think most importantly, I am a believer. Um, and I think my faith drives everything that I do. I don't see my faith as separate from any of the things I'm passionate about. I see it as the way the Lord, the Lord works through me. Yeah, I think those are the main things to know about me. Awesome. Well, listen, so the news for me was that you're getting married in, in 40 days. And so I'm thinking we probably got you on freed up at just the right time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> before all the real kind of nerves and all that kind of stuff sets in. 
Um, right. But yeah, so thank your fiance for letting you just have some time away from the planning. Because, you know, the men do 99% of the planning. That is so not uh-huh. the case. I just threw that out. <laughs> <laughs> y'all just show up with your tux and make sure you tell your boys where to be. That's all y'all do. <laughs> uh, I've been trying to help a little bit more. I'm still not probably that helpful, but. I try at least to do 25% of the work. <laughs> we need to be talking about her mental health in a little while. So. Oh, man. Well, cool. So I think you alluded to a little bit about how you really, this passion developed for you as it relates to writing this book in particular that, you, um, that you've written and just your passion for um, Black boys and Black men. And one of the things, I'm going to just jump out the block because I was going to go to some other stuff, but I'm just going to jump right out on this book. When you open it in the introduction, you talk about the murder of George Floyd and how that stirred up emotion in you and um, and really probably was just something that was on top of so many different emotions. So I want you to talk a little bit about that. And you use this term unprocessed emotions mm-hmm. as it relates to boys and men. So talk a little bit about that murder, that death, that tragedy, and then how that in turn was a connection in your mind to what other boys, black boys and black men are experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, uh, it's important to place in the context of kind of where I was in my, my mental health journey um, prior to George Floyd's uh, murder. I think, Moving um, to Memphis, uh, not being in college anymore, not having the structures and safety nets of college, I was forced to reckon with myself, um, mm. really understand who I was, understand and and deal with some some traumatic events in my past, mm-hmm. uh, wounds of my past, um, and I just didn't know what to do. <laughs> like I didn't know how to do it. I think also being in front of in a classroom in front of uh, 25 boys at any given time that were all looking at me to know like as like an example of what they could potentially be in the future was just it was a, it's a lot of pressure because I was like I don't even know who I am I don't even yeah. I haven't even gotten to the point where I had uh, I can clearly articulate how I feel in a moment mm. and so that led me to going to counseling so I got a therapist at this point uh, a little over two years ago um, and. Uh, we had started to dig in <laughs> and it was a very hard process. It's still hard at times, uh, mm-hmm. but I think it took me about really nine months to kind of turn the corner in counseling. And so fast forward to George Floyd's murder. I had been in counseling for about a year and I had thought I had a little bit of the tools um, to kind of navigate. And I was able to a little bit more clearly understand how I feel in the moment. But I hadn't really had the time to think about how that overlaid or like get made the time, made the space to think about how that overlaid with my identity. How the things that I was starting to understand, like, were also intersected with my black, my identity as a black man. Mm -hmm. And so then, like, I think seeing uh, George Floyd's murder, I don't know, it just it triggered a lot of those emotions. It triggered mm-hmm. a lot of those feelings that I had. And like I said, were unprocessed. Um, Cause I think the last time that I was really affected by a, a murder of a black man was Trayvon Martin. Cause that was when I was in like high school. And so that was kind of my first, like, what? Like, this is like 
my develop that was my development of consciousness. And so mm-hmm. after that, I just kind of numbed out, I think. And then when George Floyd happened and I literally watched eight minutes long of him dying, <laughs> was yeah. it just it did something different. Um, I think it also can't be like we're also like we're also right at the beginning of COVID. And so like mm-hmm. standstill. So it wasn't like I was doing much of anything else. Um, and so I think for me, like I like I cried, I was upset, I was all over the place, and I just didn't know what to hold on to. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to take the next step. We talked about it a lot in counseling. My counselor is a black man and that helped. But I think that led me to think about like I've been in counseling for a year and like have been starting to develop some of these tools over time. Uh, what about my brothers? What about like the boys that I teach? What about all the other black men that I know that haven't done that at all? Yeah. That are feeling like things are bubbling up and they don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that like that really um kind of solidified and codified like my passion around um, mental health for black men. Cause I feel like there's, it is a interesting experience for a, a man to be in a society that simultaneously tells him not to emote, mm. um, but also thinks any form of like expression is threatening. And so like, I can't, like, I'm not supposed to have any emotions because I'm a man, but if I'm angry as a black man, like it then, poses a threat and then reduces my humanity. And so it's a very like, it's a double-edged sword in a way because it's like, I don't know how to operate in this space. So yeah, I think that, that that's a little bit of where um, the passion in and all this kind of developed from. Yeah, I mean, you said so many things that I think are key. And one of the things that just kind of stands out to me right now is that you um, really are in, were in the process of, of your identity development. And really for black men, I think, you know, we have life stages clearly that we think about, you know, in your teenage years, you're doing a lot of the identity development, but clearly so much identity development happens over time in different stages. We know that. Um, And it seemed to be something that happened to you as you were in this classroom with kids and you were placed in front of kids and you thought, wow, that (laughs) triggered something for you. Like, I need some support. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, And you think about how there are different things that happen in life that trigger us to say, I need something more. So I, I'm, I'm curious about, was that a, a big wrestling phase for you? Because I think sometimes with the stigma, especially as it relates to Black men going to counseling and therapy, you realize you needed that support and you did it. Um, and sometimes people realize they need something more, but they are fearful to, to, to step out. So was there a wrestling period for you? Like, what was the, the thing that finally you said, nope, I got to do this? Yeah. I mean, it was it was a wrestling stage, and it was a wrestling stage for two to three years. Um, I my first, I probably I, so the first time I probably could name that I was like battling with depression was in college, uh, my sophomore year, and I had a good friend who was who was still one of my good friends to this day who was like, Brennan, you need to see somebody. Like, you need to go to counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, no, <laughs> like, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, he like, was like, all right, I'm going to go too. So like, we're both going to go. Um, and I and I went for about five or six sessions and I was just like, uh-uh, this is not for me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uncomfortable. It I felt naked. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, felt like I was, it just was like, no, I can't do this yet. Um, mm-hmm. So instead of doing that, I like, I ran. And so I literally decided to study abroad the next fall. So I literally went to a different country and I was like, I'm just not going to think about life in America. I'm going to do something else. <laughs> and so, but I thought that that was like, when I got back, it was like, I felt like I was reset and I felt like I was, I had gotten what I needed, but I really didn't. And so then a year and a half later, another transition comes and I'm in another city and by myself, like my parents aren't here. Like I said, all the structures and securities isn't, isn't there. And I think that like, I tried to throw myself into my work. And then in education, there's like so many other factors that we can't control. And so I couldn't find my worth in my students' data, for instance. Mm. Um, And so there was just always, I kept trying to use other things. Um, Mm -hmm. Once again, I had another another friend like, Brennan, you need to go see somebody. I was like, nope. (laughs) And then he's like, I'm going to just set up the appointment. So he literally like reached out to somebody and then, I like finally went and and like honestly by the grace of God I was like with a counselor who I finally felt saw me and so yeah it was a, a struggle for real it wasn't just like <laughs> it took a minute for me to get there <laughs> yeah and I appreciate you sharing uh, that in so much authenticity and vulnerability because I think that you know we talk on freed up all the time about pursuing therapy and going to counseling we've even had a segment on you know what's a counselor, what's a therapist, what is the difference between the two and who are, you know, what are all the letters mean? Um, But we haven't talked as much about that place in between the recognition that you need to go and actually getting there. And so I so appreciate that you really laying that out for the listeners so clearly. And we talk about support systems all the time. So you had somebody that was like, listen, you're going to do this. And they pushed you to do it. And so it's a blessing to have that support system. Um, Something else you said that I want to, I want you to unpack a little bit more. This thing about how society, um, the socialization of men in general, but particularly for black men is we don't emote. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that some of that has some significant historical implications for us as a people, number one. I have such a diverse audience, so I kind of want to just, you know, unpack a little bit more for those who may not be Black or African-American, but not being able to, not being taught or a space open up to emote. But then when there is an expression that may be considered an unacceptable societal expression, then there is this, um, you know, criminalization or some kind of policing of this behavior. And so I'm curious as to how how do you see that shifting? Like what needs to happen for us to make changes in that area? So I think one of the most fundamental ways that a uh, a boy, sometimes even a man, develops their masculinity um, is through the affirmation of other men. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think that looks like for like, so when my mom says it's okay to cry, like, I'm like, of course you think it's okay to cry. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I, I, that's, a, that's, I, I, I expect that, like, because society tells us that women are, women can't emote and men can't. Um, mm-hmm. but my mm-hmm. dad is like, no, it's okay to cry. Like that does a whole different thing. Uh, mm-hmm. when, my, when my dad is like, how are you feeling? And don't just tell me good. Don't just tell me bad. Like, I want to hear specifically how you're feeling and what made you feel that way. 
that opens up a new possibility for me as as his son. And so I think like when one way of shifting that is for like increasingly black men mm-hmm. saying that that is okay um, yeah. and allowing other black men who are either like I think about looking. I think about looking up in terms of was, but also looking over in terms of guys that are my age on the side of me. Um, And uh, and like even guys that are older than me, like if we have more men that are leading in that emotional processing in that expression of emotions, I think that that does more, that is like the lever that allows us to kind of push into um, a shift in the way that like we are conditioned I think that that is more uh, a more effective way than trying to get us to seem more less threatening. Cause I think that like we get so much from people who are not black already. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a lot of like self-love, a lot of community uplift in terms of black men promoting other black men in their emotions. No, so good because it's that really that modeling. Um and modeling the expression yeah. and encouraging the expression. If I see you do it, you know, I was in a situation not long ago where I was with a, a friend and a husband and wife. And so as the husband was sharing something with me, um, he started tearing up mm. and his daughter came around. And so, um, you know, just checking like, mm, I see something happening over here with yeah. daddy. And yeah. in that moment, it was really beautiful to see them allow that to take place because it was like that girl got to see her daddy in that moment and you know knowing who he is by way of everything that he's done and accomplished but being able to see him in that moment of vulnerability I think is so powerful so I appreciate you sharing that piece about just modeling it and leading it it's a lot but if we start there Mm -hmm. um we could kind of take a little bit of a turn with that and think about Older black men, yeah, who seem to have a little bit more many times that entrenchment because of the generation that they came from. So, you know, the millennial generation, you know, kind of at this point, it's almost like therapy is like going to get Starbucks. It's like this is what <laughs> we do, right? Yeah, yep, yep. I have to joke with my my millennial friends because right. it's like y'all just a whole different breed, and I'm I'm loving a lot of that uh, and some <laughs> stuff. I'm like, wait, what? But, you know, that's a piece that's almost just, it's so common. And we are in this huge self-care era where there's some things out there that are just not necessarily clinically based or people that are giving a lot of feel-good things. But it's still helpful to have that focus on self-care. So I wonder what, besides that piece about modeling, Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to an older Black man who is a little bit more entrenched and who may be struggling with the whole this is how we did it and yeah. it worked, or this is how we did it. And here's where I am. Is there any, anything that you would say from your experience that you would share? Yeah. I think there are a lot of things that serve someone, but don't necessarily like help them thrive. Um, and so I hear Like I think about like my dad, he is, he's going to be mad. I'm telling his age, but <laughs> he is. He's he, Superman. He'll be okay. Yeah, he's 50, about to be 54. Um, and so he definitely is it's definitely a generational thing. Even when we talk about the stuff that I've I've written, like it's definitely like, uh, uh okay, okay, son. Uh, <laughs> uh, but 
and like he he like I didn't see him a, a lot growing up. I saw him like take things. Um, mm-hmm. I saw him experience grief. I saw him do those things, but never emote. Like like I saw like the the closest thing he had to a father like die, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe saw him well up once. Like there was no. I never saw full like this like freedom of expression from my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that like as men and specifically as black men, like there is a survival mechanism or like something like uh, around compartmentalization when it comes to our emotions. Mm-hmm. And it does serve us. It helps us keep going. It helps us um, face all the things that we face as black men. Um, it helps us not get bogged down. It helps us to be able to to overcome it helps us to continue to to be resilient but just because it does that doesn't mean that you are the healthiest version of yourself that you can be Mm. Uh, doesn't mean that your relationships are the healthiest that they can be one of my pushes is just like the the more that you know yourself the more that you allow yourself to process these emotions like the better that you show up in the spaces that you are that you operate in the better you show up for your significant other, the better you show up for your children. Um, like that, that leading, I think about like a lot of like, especially thinking about faith based and, and like Christianity and like the black church and things like that. There's a lot of like, I need to provide and I need to be this, this man who is this like pillar of strength, who like, is just being, is like the head of household and mm-hmm. things like that. Like providing doesn't just mean like you're, fashioning a version of strength that is like devoid of emotion emotional provision is arguably more of a sign of strength than any other type of provision and so I think that's what I like that's the type of the conversations I had with my dad (laughs) because he's he's starting to he's starting to hear it a little bit he actually went through the journal it took yeah. him about six months, but he went through the whole thing. <laughs> um, he's like, I might, I might be, I might be convinced. Um, ah, but, see, look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think it, it's just, I think that's usually my first thought about that. It's like, yeah, like that, that works, but is it the best? And do you want just something that's going to keep, like going to help you survive? Or do you want to continue like to thrive? And, and mm-hmm. particularly if you're older and the life that you have left, like, you work so hard for these little years. <laughs> you yes. Maintaining, or do you want to continue to 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 grow? Um, so yeah. Wow, that is that's so powerful, um, and I love the fact that your dad. He probably read the journal because you wrote it. Yeah. Um, but, and, and trying to just see, let me see if this is going to be something, and then little does he know, it's like the the healing is happening. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and but something you said just it, it struck up a thought for me, especially as you related it to you know some of the faith aspect and what we hear in our church experience, especially in the black church, which of course a lot of that was initiated as in part a haven, a place for some kind of expression outside of the experiences right. that we were having. But I think it's interesting when we think about just even biblically that God breathed into man, you know, when He created him which your book is breath, but it's like God has all kinds of emotions. And when you read the Bible, he expresses them. And so when we are, we are created in the image of God, we're image bearers, but we are taught differently 
in the church. And I think there's some of those pieces and not, you know, universally, but in many senses we're taught um, that whole piece, like you are the provider and you have to hold it together and you've got to kind of be the person, the person of strength. And I think one of the most beautiful things, one of the things that attracts me to men is number one, honesty and authenticity. But I think it's not just being seen, but it's allowing themselves to be seen allowing themselves to be known. And I could only get to that place as I was doing that work and understood how important that is for relationship. And we do that through that emoting process. So um, you, you, you work that all the way around in there. That is definitely, (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely truth in that. So there's this other piece um, that I want to get to in your book. And I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of how your book is structured, but we're going to, um, just kind of wrap this section up for this first episode. This is a lot for the listeners to chew on. I hope our men and women are out there listening because we have um, women who they didn't drag their um, the men in their lives here. They came willingly because women are pretty influential. And so but anyway, <laughs> there are <laughs> there's a lot out there. So we're going to give you guys a chance to, to, to meditate on, the, on some of the responses and think about that. And we'll look forward to getting into more detail with Brennan and he'll be back for our next episode. So listen, I cannot wait until we get to the second part of the conversation. I know you're going to make your way back to hear it. And I hope that between now and then in the next couple of weeks that you take the time to go to Amazon and order Brennan's book. Again, the title is Breathe, a guided healing journal for black men. Get your book. You'll be ready for this conversation in the next episode where we dig much deeper into the book itself. So that's it for today, y'all. And remember, you do not walk this path alone. I'm walking right alongside you, as well as our other Freed Up family and friends. And know God loves you. I love you. And make sure you take care of you.